This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to the South End Zone Podcast here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Bailey. I'm with Eric Mulher this week. Timmy is out of pocket dealing with uh, some stuff, and he'll be back with us next week. So we look forward to seeing him back on the show again next week. Eric, what's happening, man? What are you doing? Uh, I'm getting ready to talk about some coaches, but uh, no, it's been pretty good. Um, we had a, we had a signing today. Today was signing day at my house. Uh, my, my stepson signed to... Uh, play at Highland Community College in Highland, Kansas. So he's going to go kick and punt for them uh, for probably a year, maybe a second. Free college, man. Can't beat it. Free college. That's what I'm talking about. Man, I feel like uh, we need to bump the camels off the off the slot at the end of the show and start like the Highland. Co- What's their mascot? They're the Scotty. We don't have to bump the camels entirely, but maybe <laughs> give them like a little nudge over, you know, and, and hey, you know, make a spot uh, for the Scotties. The Scotties. <laughs> Interesting. But before we do that, we are going to talk about some coaches. And uh, for our listeners this week, we're going to go over some new faces, new places uh, with a couple of guys, first being Billy Napier. And uh, I'm actually going to kick that one to Eric and let him talk about Napier. That's sort of right in your backyard there, Eric. And then when you're uh, done with that, we'll take a break. And then after that, I'm going to go over Oregon's new head man, Dan Lanning. So. That being said, uh, start at the beginning, man. Tell me a little bit about Napier. What you know? What makes uh, what what should make me think he's the guy at Florida? Okay, well, we'll we will, and it'll take a couple of minutes, but we will eventually get to why I think he is the guy at Florida and why I think he was a fantastic hire for them. How how I arrived at that point, uh, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, so, kind of a younger guy. He's going to be uh, forty three at the start of the season. Uh, not so not young, young, but kind of on the younger side. Uh, so he grew up in North Georgia. When I say North, I mean North. You know, you drive North out of Murray County. You don't go to a different county. You go to Tennessee. So he was a uh, he was an all state quarterback there for Murray County. And played for his father, uh, which I think if you look around at a lot of college coaches and even professionals, you see quite a few instances of coaching kind of being like the family business. So, you know, I know, uh, you know, Belichick's dad was a coach. Kirby Smart's dad was a coach, uh, you know, on and on and on. There's a ton of uh, position coaches and coordinators in the NFL whose fathers are either, you know, former or present head coaches. Um, So uh, Billy Napier is uh, no exception. So he played uh, quarterback for his father at Murray County. And then from there went to Furman University, uh, which is an FCS school in South Carolina, uh, up near Clemson, I believe, kind of in that northwest part of the state. Yeah, man, the Paladins. <laughs> the Paladins, yep. So uh, two-year starter there. Both years they won the Southern Conference. Uh, so they're in a conference with a lot of kind of higher academic schools like uh, Wofford, Mercer, uh, Samford. I think the Citadel is in that conference. Uh, Tennessee, Chattanooga. But uh, 
did well there. They won the conference championship twice, and he was an all-conference selection two times as well. And his junior year, uh, he led the team to the FCS title game, which they lost 13-6 to to Montana. Mm. That was in, uh, I don't have it written down. I don't remember if it was 2001 or 2002. Uh, so from there, he goes into the family business. Uh, 2003, uh, he gets hired as a grad assistant at Clemson. And he is he's there for two years. And then he takes a job as the quarterback coach at South Carolina State, which is a FDS HBCU. Uh, they actually won the HBCU National championship last season they beat uh prime times team, uh, jackson state oh yeah jackson state yeah <laughs> so they he was annihilated them yeah they drilled him i think it, i, I want to yeah. say that was really one-sided yeah it was it was a beat down so he was there for a year as the quarterback coach and then after that one season he went back to clemson he was hired on as a full-time assistant as the tight end coach slash recruiting coordinator and the the r word is going to make another appearance in this rundown multiple appearances because it's really kind of his backbone. So 2006 to 2008, he was a tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator for Tommy Bowden at Clemson. Uh, Tommy Bowden gets let go and they hire Dabo Swinney. And he elevates Napier to quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator for the 2009 season. So Clemson goes out, they win the ACC, they average a little over 35 a game. Things Things are going pretty well for a guy who is just shy of 30. 2010 comes around and they have a big drop off. They're down to like 24 points a game. Clemson finishes six and seven. Uh, and for the first time in his life, he experiences uh, some failure and, and Dabo lets him go. I want winners. You know, people forget because of what Clemson has become. Dabo Swinney was not universally seen as like the answer for Clemson for a handful of years. You know, like right out the gate, it's not like he just showed up and set the world on fire. Like he, they were an average team for a little bit and before he was able to build them up. So another thing we've talked about on this show is Nick Saban's home for wayward coaches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to include uh, landing in that conversation later. Yep. And well, Billy Napier is close to like the patron saint. You know, he, he was almost patient zero. He was way, way early on in that. So 2010, he gets let go at Clemson and t- 2011, he's an offensive analyst at Alabama. Uh, mm-hmm. They win the national championship that year, and Jim McElwain uh, leaves the Alabama staff to take the head job at Colorado State, and Billy Napier follows him there as the quarterback coach slash assistant head coach. So he's at Colorado State with McElwain for a season, and then gets hired in January of 2013, uh, gets hired by Jimbo Fisher to come to Florida State as the tight end coach slash recruiting coordinator. He's there for about a month. And ends up resigning from there and taking the receivers coach at Alabama position. That's yeah, that's funny that you said that because I I've got like you know I just did a brief like rundown of his coaching stuff like I I just kind of wrote some stuff down of where he was <laughs> that was not listed. Yeah, so he never actually did anything there. He was kind of uh, on paper he he was hired for them for something like three or four weeks. Uh, but yeah, Saban grabs him. He's the receivers coach at Alabama from 2013 to 2016. And we'll talk about it in a little bit, but there was a, uh, he was on that same staff in 20, I believe 15 with Dan Lanning at Alabama. He, yep. That is correct. Dan Lanning was a GA then. And so he's there for four seasons and ends up getting the quarterback coach slash OC gig at Arizona state under Todd Graham. Arizona State goes, uh, they go seven and five, uh, make a, an appearance in the Sun Bowl, and Todd Graham gets let go, and they hire my man Herm Edwards. Hello. 
in a, in a decision that I think they are probably regretting to this day. You play to win the game. Um, so Herm actually gave him the option to stay on. He's like, Hey, you know, we, if you'd like to stay here, run the offense, you know, we'd love to have you, you know, cause a lot of times the head guy will come in and he'll want to put his people in place. Right. And there's maybe not a lot of carryover among the staff when a head coach lets get, let gets let go. Herm was, was willing to let him stay. And he did not because he ended up getting the head job at Louisiana Lafayette. And he was the head coach of the Raging Cajuns from 2018 to 2021. So in that time, uh, he shows up, they go seven and seven. Uh, so they win their division. They win the Sunbelt West and they made it to the Cure Bowl. Uh, 2019, they improved to 11 and three again, win the West and make it to the lending tree bowl 2020 uh was a really good year for them they won the sun belt outright they went 10 and 1 uh they had a road win a a three score road win against iowa state and they finished the 2020 season uh number 15 in the final poll and then this past year they won the sun belt again 12 and 1 uh, their only loss being week one at texas and in december he gets hired to replace dan mullen at the university of florida and he he has not wasted any time since he's gotten there as far as uh, building up what he wants that program to like. I would like to point out that the only time you picked, I think the only time you picked Louisiana to cover a spread all year was against Texas. They, they were my upset pick. Yeah. Cause they were like eight yeah. point dogs and, and they, yeah. you know, as far as strengths um, it's going to be night and day for Florida as far as recruiting goes, you know, he, he showed up and he, he hired about 40 people and, and built up basically an entirely new infrastructure as far as staff, analysts, uh, you know, dietitians, uh, marketing and creative team, personnel people, all, all kind of revolving around what he called in his introductory press conference, the talent acquisition business. So, you know, he had kind of Mullen who had the, at least the, the perception of thinking that he could kind of out scheme and out play call the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world uh, and the type of players they recruit. You must think I'm dumb. Yeah. And he would be wrong. <laughs> and he, and he was, he was proven wrong uh, a couple times, but uh, yeah, Billy Napier is kind of the, the opposite of that. He's going to, he's going to recruit, 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 and he is going to build his program around the idea that we want as many of the absolute best players we can possibly get walking through that door and then instilling some sort of a culture uh, like a Saban or a Swinney, you know, guys he's worked under or a smart guys he's worked with. So, you know, and, and then I guess as far as weaknesses is kind of, uh, you know, the unknown factor, um, just cause there's a lot of people probably just aren't familiar with the guy, um, other than, yeah, he, you know, he was at a group of five and did well, but what does that really mean? And his background suggests that he's, he's learned at the feet of some guys who've been very, very successful in college football for the last decade. So. There is uh, there's every reason to think that Florida will be on an upward trend, but it is going to take a couple of years because that that gap between Alabama and Georgia and, you know, to, <laughs> a lesser, to a lesser extent, you know, Ohio State, Clemson, and then kind of everyone else is, is it's not going to be made up quickly. You know, I think if you're talking, well, you know, when can when can Florida compete for a playoff spot? I don't know, maybe 2024, 25. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, year two, you do see a lot of coaches jump, make that jump in year two to be competitive. Urban Meyer did it at Florida, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, Kirby I mean, did it. it. Yeah, Kirby. Yeah, there you go. So 
it wouldn't shock me. I mean, the way things are going, if they're really competitive next year, because I mean, they do already have quite a bit of talent down there. It's not like Anthony Richardson's a slouch, you know? Yeah, so they're not, they're not, you know, they're not Akron. Like they have talented players. Um, they just don't necessarily have the depth of talent. You know, you think about like Georgia's defense or Clemson's defense or, you know, Ohio State's offense, you know, guys leave. Well, they get replaced with other studs. And, you know, Florida, they had, uh, you know, three, four, five injuries and they just didn't have that next guy. And that really hurt them. So I I think that's going to be his big focus is building up that talent depth in addition to just who are my 22 starters and how good are they? Well, and something I think he's got working in his favor is he is an SEC guy. And even when he was at Clemson, you know, he's still in that same area, that same footprint. And he has recruited Louisiana and Florida and Georgia and all these state, Alabama, all these states that have all the talent, you know, most of the talent year in and year out in the Southeast. He's already recruited them heavily. He's on a first name basis with a lot of coaches and people in the South. So I think that makes his transition to this a lot easier than someone like who I'm going to talk about later, like Dan Lanning. Yeah. You know, a guy who's been in, I mean, I, I really thought LSU was going to hire him when they fired coach. O, I, I was shocked that they did not go after me. I, but you know, I was like, man, the guy's right there. He's 90 miles away. Yeah. And you know, I'm not sure how that, how that would have been received by the fan base as compared to a Brian Kelly. I, I don't know. I, I would like to think that they would have embraced that hire, you know, given his pedigree and he's already a Louisiana guy. You kind of figure it would have been a natural jump for him. So I agree with you that that is surprising. But, you know, I mean, they would have saved themselves about $7 million a year by hiring him. Yeah, but, a bunch. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. You know and, and he's had other, it's not, he's, had other opportunities to leave, you know. Um, I know he turned down the Auburn job. I think he was one of the guys that turned that down. Yeah, and he he was one of the guys who said no, thank you to Auburn because the, of some of the dysfunction they saw there. Um, I think he drew some interest from South Carolina last season. Um, you know, maybe not all that serious, but you know, the guy is the guy is not some mystery to college athletic departments, especially in the South. So they could have done a lot, lot worse than this guy, and I, and I think he'll. <laughs> I think you'll see a slight improvement this season. They were six and seven, I believe. They were six and six, and they, I cannot remember for the life of me how their bowl game went. I will assume they lost, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you'll see a, a slight uptick. And I would look for them to be, you know, more competitive in like the 23 24 range where, you know, you're talking nine, 10 win seasons. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them either. And, I think now I'm trying to check this as we speak, but if I remember, I think he has like a $7 million buyout. So I don't think it's some crazy massive buyout, like a 17 or $20 million buyout. So I think it's 7 million and then it, you know, it decreases each year of his seven year contract. So, you know, I I do think his, uh, his leash will be a little bit shorter given the small buyout, but, yeah, and I've read in a couple of places that he that was kind of a almost like a negotiation where he he sort of gave up the the big buyout number to get what he wanted as far as staff he wanted to hire. You know, they're they're sinking a lot of money into building the infrastructure he wants. It's, you know, they hired new dietitians, and it's all centered around building up the talent base and the talent depth. Um, yeah, that's kind of Billy Napier, and 
in a nutshell and his background and, and kind of what I think makes him tick and how I think he'll do. Interesting. I would have to, uh, I would have to agree with most of those takes you made. Yeah. Like I said, the, I feel like the biggest advantage, like that I already touched on, you know, that the fact that he's already heavily recruited the whole Southeast pretty much. So, you know, unlike a Brian Harson who walked into Auburn having never recruited the Southeast. Yeah. And that's a bigger deal down here. I think I wouldn't have, you know, until I lived down here for a number of years, I, I don't know that that would have been apparent to me exactly how important kind of, you know, networking and how much, I don't want to say buddy, buddy, but, you know, in a lot of places in the South, uh, how, how well you do depends on who you know and how well you know them, especially in college football. Yeah. We call it the good old boy program. So it, uh, It'll be interesting to see, but I'm I'm with you. I think as early as next season, you could really start to see them make a jump. So I'll be looking forward to that. It'll it'll be nice to have somebody in the East to challenge Georgia year in and year out. Because as it stands now, <laughs> there's nothing standing in their way. Yeah, it feels a lot like Clemson, where they're just kind of a cut above everyone else, and you're just going to have this yeah. like revolving door, like this whack a mole sort of thing about every. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like every year. Some team's going to pop up. Hey, we won nine games. You know, Kentucky, bam, right? <laughs> yeah, shut out. 34 to nothing. Right. And it's, you know, Kentucky, whose turn is it? Uh, you know, South Carolina, Tennessee. It's So it, it well, would be nice. Well, and Florida's one of those schools, man. Florida's one of those schools. Like we've talked about with Texas and USC. Like the, the resources, the facilities, it, it, it's infinite. Like the infrastructure is there for you to be successful if you just go and get players, <laughs> like that's, that's really all you have to do. This conversation is going nowhere. All right. Well, before we uh, move forward and get to the other side of this, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll be right back with you to talk about uh, another coach that's in a new spot. Okay, guys, two titles are up for grabs on the stacked UFC 273 fight card. You can join in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet just $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets, win or lose, guaranteed. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contests. Simply draft your lineup of fighters while staying under a salary cap, rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Throw down $5 on UFC 273 and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's promo code TPPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See the show notes for the details. Thank you, Jason. And we are back with part two of New Faces, New Places. And the next new face in the new place we're going to talk about is Dan Lanning at the University of Oregon. Jason, what did we find out about Dan Lanning that we did not already know? Well, uh, first of all, what I didn't realize about him was that he's really fucking young. 
He's yeah. 35. He's 35 years old. So that I did not know. It's pretty, you know, it's kind of sad. It's one of those moments where you're sad and depressed because you realize like now all the coaches that are getting hired are younger than you. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, damn, I'm getting old. But, you know, so, you know, quick rundown. Dan Lanning, I mean, he's 35. He was born in a little tiny ass town in Richmond, Missouri, like 5,000 people small, like, I mean, tiny town. And uh, he played his high school ball there, Richmond High School, you know, just like I said, tiny ass little town, 5,000 people. And so he takes his high school game and he gets, uh, he enrolls at a little college called William Jewell College, which by the way, you don't bother looking it up. They have an annual enrollment of less than a thousand. It's a tiny ass little college as well. So he plays college ball there for four seasons as a linebacker and, you know, battled some injuries his first couple of seasons, but ends up earning a starting job. And his senior season, which was not that long ago. No, 2007. <laughs> yeah, 2007. So his senior season in college, 2007, he, he finishes with 57 tackles. Ten and a half tackles for a loss, four and a half sacks, and a pick, and earns uh, honorable mention for all conference and is a team captain. So, pretty decent little, uh, you know, small school college football player there. But obviously, a school like that, NFL dreams, pretty, uh, pretty slim to none. So, the only other notable coach or person that I could find related to college football that went to William Jewell would be one Bill Snyder. I thought that was kind of interesting. Ah, well, one thing I found, uh, you know, on Wikipedia of all places was that uh, Dan Lanning's uh, roommate at college was a guy named Trent Fig, who is defensive coordinator at Hawaii. So there's two under coaches. Todd, under Todd Graham. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Associate head coach and defensive coordinator at Hawaii. And uh, Todd Graham, a name we've already heard in this show and we will hear again. Yeah, that's uh, I, that's really something I started to notice when you were talking about Napier. I was like, man, these guys are pretty intertwined, actually. Yeah, they, no, they, that, they've they've overlapped in a couple of different spots, which I didn't know that until I was like really kind of drilling down on on Napier's background. Yeah. So uh, after he graduates from college, he takes a high school job. He's coaching high school ball. You know, not far from where he grew up, but he's, you know, working as like a just an assistant coach, special teams, DBs, wide receivers, that kind of stuff. Does that for three seasons. And during that time, he's at like a football camp that Todd Graham, I guess, was running. I couldn't really find whether or not it was his camp or what, but yeah, I want to say I read it was like a coaching clinic. Yeah. And Todd Graham was there and he, he met Todd Graham while he was at the clinic. Well, like, you know, a year and a half later, he basically is just like, I'm going to take a chance. And he drives up 13 hours to the University of Pittsburgh, where Todd Graham is the coach and shows up unannounced and asks to speak to him and, you know, basically begs him for a job. And Todd Graham's like, OK, we'll hire you. So they hire him as like a grad assistant and he starts working, you know, on the defense with Todd Graham at Pittsburgh and then follows him to Arizona state. And so while he's at Arizona state, he gets promoted to the on-campus recruiting coordinator from the GA. And Mm. then, so he's really, 
this is where he's really starting to ramp up getting into the recruiting world more so than just the coaching. So after he leaves Arizona State, he takes a, a one-year hiatus at Sam Houston State there in Texas. And mm-hmm. one way or another, I, I couldn't find, this is something I couldn't find, and it was frustrating how he ended up as a GA at Bama in 2015. I don't know how, I don't know where you apply for that. You know, and that's Mm-mm. some information yeah, I that I couldn't find, like who he knew there or what. So I, I don't know how he ended up there. But he goes to Alabama, and in 2015, you know, they won the national title, and he worked with as a GA under Saban. Obviously, they had some freakish linebackers on that on that that team. You know, Reggie Ragland, bunch of guys that have played in the NFL. So really got a taste of what serious NFL caliber athletes look like there. So. He takes that. I mean, after that, after he spends time in Nick Saban's home for wayward coaches, as you like to call it, it's like one springboard after another for this guy. It's like a combination of good timing and good luck and taking risks. I don't know. It's weird. So he takes a move and goes over to Memphis and he reunites with your guy, Mike Norvell. Yep. My man, Mike. Yeah, and he reunites with him because Norvell was the OC under Graham at Arizona State. So he spends three years there under Norvell, and uh, and and he's doing what now? He's he's recruiting coordinator. He said he's the linebackers coach okay. at Memphis. Linebackers coach, recruiting coordinator. Okay. Yeah. So after three seasons in Memphis, working as the outside linebacker coach, he reunites with the guy he was under at Alabama, Kirby Smart. Uh, when he was there as a GA in 2015. So he goes and uh, takes the outside linebacker job at Georgia under one Mel Tucker. (laughs) So, and Mel Tucker at the end of the 2018 season announces he's leaving for Colorado. And so after one year at Georgia, our boy Lanning just gets promoted to DC. (laughs) Welcome to the program. You've been here one year coaching linebackers. Well, now you're the defensive coordinator at Georgia. and. Uh, I would like to point out that UGA, let's see, they ranked number 15 in total defense under Mel Tucker in 2018. Since then, Dan Lanning has led defenses that ranked number one in 19 or 2019, number 17 in 2020, and number one in 2021. So well, two out of three years. High. That'll get yeah, you hired. Two, yeah, that's right. Two out of three years, he had the number one defense. And 2020, yeah, kind of, you know, you can put a lot of stock in it or not based on the COVID year. So, I mean, the dude was just a superstar. And this guy, I mean, before I move into like his next step from there, he seems like the type of dude that's just kind of like a bulldog. Like he oozes confidence, you know what I mean? Kind of an opportunistic guy. So he parlays this, and this is really the strange part of this to me because it's a strange marriage to me. But again, opportunistic. He parlays these three number one defenses into the Oregon job. And, you know, there was some back and forth that Oregon had offered Justin Wilcox a job and he turned him down. And But he ends up taking the Oregon job and now he's ranked as, uh, according to 24-7 Sports, the number 11 recruiter in the country. <laughs> so I don't know what to make of him, man. It's kind of weird. He's got no ties to the West Coast of any kind. The furthest West he's ever been was Arizona State. And he was the on-campus recruiting coordinator, which means he's probably not taking tons of flights to California to recruit kids, you know? Well, it's not even that. He's not, it's not like he's probably even going to away games. He's probably right. not leaving Tempe. 
may, I mean, maybe as a grad assistant, I guess, I don't know how that works. I don't know a ton about the grad assistant world, but yeah, what stands out to me to this guy is, you know, it's, it's one thing to have an opportunity fall into your lap, but that's like, that's half the deal, right? You got to do something with that opportunity for another one to fall in your lap. And it, on the surface, it kind of seems like, you know, the, the, the sun kind of shines on the dog's ass a little bit where, you know, this dude's got the golden ticket, but I think there's an element of making your own luck. Like you talked about with, you know, yeah, he gets elevated to the defensive coordinator role at Georgia and, you know, number one, number, uh, what'd you say? 16 and number one, 17, something like yeah, that. One, 17 and one. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, that's not an accident. And I know that he's not the only guy on that staff coaching the defense, right? I, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I don't know this for sure. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if Kirby Smart calls the defensive alignments most of the time. But, you know, the guy's still there. Um, there's not a ton of like super interesting background on Dan Lanning, the person, but I did find kind of his progression as far as like how fast everything has happened, where he just goes one stop to one stop to one stop. And it's, it's like a step up every other year. Right. He, he was a grad assistant in 2015 and he is now a power five head coach in 2022. That, that is nuts. <laughs> it's pretty fast. It really is. And that like, I don't know what to make of it. If it's just like, he's really fucking sharp and he's really smart or if it's been some luck or if it's been the right fit or if that one year at Alabama just really like did some great shit for him. I don't know, man. It's weird. Like you, you wouldn't think that one year as a grad assistant at Bama would transform you into like a defensive genius. <laughs> I just no, I don't but I mean he it. was I mean he coached he coached DBs at Sam Houston State, which is a really really good FCS program. They actually won the FCS title I think year before last. It's not like the guy just fell off a turnip truck yesterday. I mean he's kind of been around and and been in some spots and I'm sure learned from a bunch of different people, but man, I don't it just it seems fast. It does. And, and so you know and it, part of me is like yeah, you know, obviously he's doing something right. You should hire him. He'll see what he can do. But then the other part of me is like, man, George is going to have five defensive players probably get drafted in the first round next month. How hard is it to coach those guys? You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, so, you know, Mel Tucker did recruit a lot of these dudes. Yeah. You know, so you look, you go and you look at the guys that uh, 24-7 sports who is, you know, they're recruiting gurus. Mm -hmm. You go look at the guys that he's recruited, like all the five stars that he's got listed under his name. You don't find a lot of the dudes that are first round draft picks. Yeah. And we talked about the depth of talent with Florida in the Napier segment. And that's kind of how, how Georgia does things now is I think a little different from how a lot of college football fans are used to seeing teams operate for the last however many years, because Georgia's going to have draft pick after draft pick after draft pick leave their defense. Well, guess what? Next year, their defense still gonna be really freaking good. Oh yeah, and, you yeah. know they. I mean, the, the yeah, guy they've who, reached they've reached the same level as like an Alabama as far as talent year in and year out. You yeah, know, they they reload just because a guy only plays there two years. Well, you know when you're a freshman at Georgia and you play linebacker or defensive line, guess what? There are not a lot of reps to go around. Like you're no. gonna you're waiting and you're gonna develop and you're gonna get better at practice. You know, they're, they're going to have some guys that no one has heard of. I promise you, they're going to have guys who no one has heard of until this season just wreck people. And they're going to be like, where the hell <laughs> yeah. did this dude come from? How, how come he never played? And we're like, okay, I'll tell you. I'll give you three reasons this guy never played. Uh, N'Kobe Dean, uh, Channing Tyndall. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's your reasons. Jordan Davis. Yep. Yeah. 
so a lot of the guys that we're going to see in the draft next month, you know, uh, Davis, Trevon Walker, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Nicobe Dean. I, I get that those were all kind of, you know, quote unquote Tucker guys. You watch and you will see next year and the year after you'll see kind of landing guys and I'm, they're going to be good. Um, they, they'll be fine. Maintaining what they've started at, at Georgia, as far as recruiting in the talent base, I think is going to be a lot different than going to Oregon and kind of building your own thing, right? Like we talked about with Lincoln Riley, like building something is different from running something. And yes. so that'll, to me, that's his challenge is, you know, and again, that Oregon, just like, just like Florida, right? They're not, they're not Kansas. They're not Arizona. They're, you know, they were, what they went nine games last year. Like there's, uh, uh, yeah, there's something nine. to build on there, right? It's not, he's not, uh, you know, building up from the ashes, but yeah, Mario Cristobal. I mean, he, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was pretty successful at Oregon. So, I mean, took him to a Fiesta Bowl and a Rose Bowl while he was there. <laughs> so it's not like he's taken over a dumpster fire. Right. So that, I mean, he's got that working for him because a lot of times you see a big shot, you know, assistant get his first head coaching job and it's at a smaller school that, you know, usually the, the coaching position is open because they just shit canned a guy because they were terrible. So, so some, so something I wanted to ask you, because I, I kind of, I'm, I'm sort of of the opinion that he probably should have stayed at Georgia another year. I mean, maybe Oregon is a good place for him to go, but if I'm a guy who has no ties to the West Coast, Oregon to me is not, and this is obviously like, you know, don't at me Oregon fans, but it's not a personal shot, but like they're not an elite program in that they can't, they're not the type of team that can carry a conference, okay? Like a USC, if they're really good. Right. Or like Alabama. We yeah, know they're not they're because not. they've been trying for five years because they've been the only team that's worth half a shit in that conference for five years. And it's, they really haven't, you know, it, it almost kind of feels like the conference is pulling them down to a certain extent. Um, yeah. They're, they're like a solid, you know, number, number three team. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a, something hard to analyze. I, I just don't feel like it's a primo job and there's no talent right where he's at. So every time he goes to recruit, he's got to get on a plane. I just, I don't know. I feel like he'd have been better off kind of hanging out at Georgia and sort of taking the Kirby smart role. Like, I wonder if Kirby sat him down and was like, Hey man, I know Oregon's coming calling, but like I stayed at Alabama and turned down tons of offers because I wanted the job I wanted. So is this right. really the job he wants? Or is he just like jumping at the first power five opportunity that's come his way? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're winning rings as a defensive coordinator, making two million bucks a year, you can afford to be patient and wait for your dream job because, you know, if it doesn't come open for five years, well, guess what? You're in a pretty good spot already. And, right. And if Lanning doesn't have the quote unquote dream job and he just wants a power five head job and there's no uh, kind of like an emotional attachment to like going to his alma mater like Kirby Smart did. Well, then sure, you take the Oregon job because they've got a ton of money. They've got fantastic facilities. Recruiting is a challenge compared to if you're, you know, at a school in Louisiana or Alabama or Georgia or Florida. But when you're when you're competing with, you know, Washington, Oregon State, um, you know, Stanford, Cal, Utah, well, guess what? There's not a ton of talent in those teams' backyards either. You know, except for UCLA, USC. So he's not in any different position than like Oregon State or Washington in it as far as having to go to California to get the real high end guys. Yeah, that's true. I don't really understand the motivation to go out west when you, when he's in such a good position already. Like you said, making two million bucks a year. <laughs> I, just, 
I feel like another year or two, he could have had like a real primo job. Like Oregon, I mean, not to say it's not a good job, but it's not a top 10 job in the country. And if Mm. you're, how many more of those is he going to have to win before somebody serious offers him a job like a Michigan if Harbaugh were to get canned or a Penn State or somebody like that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think out of outside of a handful of teams, you know, like I, like me personally, you know, Penn State and Oregon, they're kind of the same to me as far as where they're at as a program and how good that job is. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like about going to Oregon. Or like a Texas if the Sark experiment doesn't work out. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, you know, he they got him for six years at just under 30 million. Well, I mean, I wouldn't turn down 30 million dollars. I'll, I'll go coach on the sun for 30, you know, but... <laughs> But, um, you know, he's going to a conference, you know, the Pac-12 is winnable. You you can build a team that can compete to win the Pac-12, you know, every year, every other year pretty easily, especially if you're starting off with the talent, talent base that Oregon currently has. You know, it's not like Jed Fish at Arizona where it's just in shambles and you have to build it from the ground up. Like he's walking into a pretty decent spot. So, you know, Oregon kind of has sort of the national brand. You know, I, I think recruiting kids to Oregon. You know, it's a hell of a lot easier than recruiting them to Oregon State. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, with the, the CEO of Nike backing you, it's, uh, you know, it helps out a lot. But something I thought that was funny was uh, Oregon's offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham. Did you see, I actually tweeted it. Um, did you see the quote that he put out yesterday I, or the day before? I saw it and... It says, this is the only place west of Texas that has the mindset of, a, of the South. When it comes to football, if you're out West, this is the only real college town that can win championships. You must think I'm dumb. Right. So Mm. everything he said about that is true, other than the fact that Oregon's missing the championships part. Right. That that's kind of uh, like check your history, coach. I I don't want to nitpick you, but uh, yeah, I I read it and I kind of rolled my eyes. I forgot specifically what he said, but. You know, and part of it is I get it. Like I would expect a, an Oregon assistant to say that. He's not wrong about the 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 mindset. You know, the SEC kind of rabid fan base mindset. They are, you know, without a doubt, probably the best traveling fan base as far as fan support goes, and they do sell out every game. So it is a football town, but I don't know, man. Like I said, it's just for Lanning. Ultimately, for me, it's a weird, strange marriage. It, I agree. It does not make much sense kind of on the surface, but you know, you kind of think about it and I can see where he would want to go try that. Um, like he was, uh, he interviewed for the Kansas job a year ago. I was like, well, I mean, would you rather wait a year and go to Oregon or go to Kansas? Like, I mean, there's, there's far worse places he could have ended up for his first power five job. I'm, I'm really anxious to see what he does up there. I mean, it's like you said, pac 12 is pretty winnable right now. It's really him and USC, and that's it. Yeah, well, I think Utah will be good again, but you know, no, no team in the Pac-12 is necessarily going to scare you know the the Big Ten champ or the maybe even the ACC champ. They, the Pac-12 as a conference has a ways to go. They, oh God, they suck. But yeah, I shouldn't have. That's one thing. I actually tweeted it yesterday. I should give Utah some props for their fan support because they do pretty much sell out most of their games and. You know, they fill that stadium pretty much every Saturday. So I shouldn't shouldn't crush them and say that Oregon's the only Pac-12 team that really has good fan support because Utah's in that same sort of mold, I guess. 
Yeah. I think the big difference is when, when guys like Dillingham are talking about culture is, you know, you go to an SEC stadium, they don't give a shit if their team is three and six. No. They're, I mean, it, it's going to be full, right? And in the Pac-12, you know, if your team is not good, you know, people, it seems like just not interested. Yeah. Kind of like that picture right behind you. Yeah. I was just going to say like our <laughs> listeners obviously can't see, but you know, my, my kind of fake uh, video background is a picture that I pulled off of Twitter last fall. And it's a picture <laughs> of the LA Coliseum 20 minutes before the UCLA USC kickoff. Um, so two major colleges that are in town are playing in Los Angeles. Here, let me lean out of the way. Give me an estimate on how full this place is. Uh, I'm going to say maybe 20, maybe 20. Yeah. yeah 15, <laughs> maybe 20%. 20% full, like half an hour before kickoff. Right. Mm. Cause both teams were, I mean, and it's UCLA wasn't even terrible. I think they won eight games, but USC <sighs> was so bad. You know, can you imagine a four and eight SEC team? filling their stadium to 20% capacity for a rivalry game it would never that happen. Coach would be, that coach would be fired at halftime. Yeah. So, and I think that's kind of what he is getting at is the fan support in the SEC and, and even the ACC was, it's going to be there, right? Whether the team's good, bad, otherwise when, it, you know, PAC 12 is maybe a little more fair weather than other places. Maybe. Agree. So, uh, do you have anything else on Napier or Lanning before I wrap this up? Uh, I was actually kind of arguing with myself over who I think is going to have a better year one. Who, who do you that, think? That's what I was fixing to ask you. Who do you like year one? I'm going to give the edge to Lanning because I think he's probably walking into a tailor-made situation where really he's only got one team in his division to challenge him. And so I mean, there may be some Vegas outlets that project Oregon to win the North. So if you're walking into a situation where you're already predicted to challenge to win your division, I feel like that's probably a better chance to, you know, win some games. Cause I don't, I haven't looked at their schedule. I know they play Georgia week one. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. probably an L. Welcome to the job. Yeah. Beyond that, I, I don't know, but. I don't think there's any chance that Florida comes back and challenges to win the SEC East this year. I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. I I think conference and schedule is kind of what, you know, same thing where I, I sort of leaned landing just because I, I can see Oregon winning nine games without squinting too hard. Right? I will be stunned if Florida wins nine games this year. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I, you know, if, if, if Napier goes eight and four, I feel like that's a great season. That's a big oh, yeah. win for them. If I'm a Florida fan and they go eight and four, I am dancing on the ceiling because the real test is, Hey, you know, what does it look like year two, year three? Uh, you know, cause when you come in, both of these guys, I think were hired either right before, well, landing was, was way after. Um, but you know, Billy Napier got, he got hired two weeks before the December signing period. So it's not like he's really had a recruiting cycle. Well, I actually listened to something while I was doing some research for this podcast. And there, there's actually a lot of rumors that the Oregon courtship of Dan Lanning was going on quite a bit earlier than we all anticipated. Yeah, probably. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me because I think, I think they probably had a pretty good idea that, hey, you know, it really looks like Miami is going to fire Manny Diaz. Yeah, and, and if they do that, you know, our coach is going to be the first guy they call, and he'll probably take that job, right? As long as yeah. they 
offer him a fair amount of money, you know, given his background, being a Miami guy, he played there, all that. Um, I think they probably had a suspicion that they were going to have to replace their coach and were kind of identifying guys, you know, whether that turned into calling his agent, hey, what would he be looking for? Uh, Who knows? That wouldn't shock me. Yeah. And I think they're probably going to have to replace their coach again in a few years because it seems like Oregon to me is another springboard job for him like that. That's really the only thing that I can see that makes it make sense for me is he thinks I can go there and win the conference. And, and, and parlay that into Auburn or Texas or something. Yeah. uh, Just a better job, whatever it may be. So that could be too. That makes sense to me. So, cause I just don't see him being like, I'm going to stay at Oregon for 15 seasons and, you know, make yeah. the playoff every year. I, I don't see that. Well, I mean, he, he, you know, he replaced Mel Tucker at Georgia. What did Mel do? Mel went to Colorado right. for, I think, I think two years or maybe just one. I think it was one, <laughs> one season. Yeah. And then suddenly he's at, he's at Michigan state and does well. And, you know, he's a, he's a $90 million man. Yeah. He's got 90, 95 million reasons to hang out up there. Yeah, there's a blueprint that is out there that he's trying to follow. Uh, I guess that wouldn't shock me either if it's kind of treating it like, you know, like a group of five job. Yeah. Uh, instead of, you know, instead of going to. <laughs> sorry. You know, We're sorry, Oregon fans. Well, I'm, and I'm not saying Oregon is a group of five, but, you know, okay. Yeah. If I go, if I go to UTSA or uh, Appalachian State or Eastern Michigan or whatever, and, and I do well for three years, yeah, maybe I can get a power five job. Maybe I can go to. Kansas State. It's probably like I would say if you, if you cut the Power Five jobs into like top half, bottom half, Oregon's definitely in the top half. Oh yeah, they're not top five. Probably not even. The only thing I think that would get them into my top ten is just how much money is there that you can work with and apply towards. Yeah, uh, but you know, it's not. It, it might be in the top ten, but it's not. It's not in the top five, and it's not number one. And if he's looking for something, you know, in the in the four, five, six range, then yeah, maybe he is going to use it as kind of a springboard i mean there's certainly nothing that i know of that's tying him to that that location in particular either yeah well i think uh that's going to wrap up this week so next week we are going to look at some stuff like sort of what's like the evolution of the game a little bit of it's more of a football adjacent topic and not necessarily like a funny one you know it's kind of more of a learning experience so we're going to look at we're going to have a guest on and we're going to look at some some stuff that sort of caused this evolution of college football because we see so many changes now with, you know, it's like a, an arms race for facilities and medical technology. And that has created bigger, faster, stronger players. And the, so they're changing the rules to, to lessen concussions and lawsuits and all of that. You know, then that really all of that kind of stuff has only happened in the last 15 years or so. So uh, we're going to have a guest on and we're going to learn about sort of some sports science things that have really started to change and evolve the game. So that will be a really interesting conversation. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I've, I've done a, a lot of reading on this, this type of stuff because uh, I'm a baseball fan and that's become really a big movement in major league baseball the last you know 15, maybe even 20 years. And uh, probably, yeah, probably more like the 15, but how, how they're doing some of that stuff and applying it to college football. I'm, I'm, curious to see I, I think it'll be good yeah it will be and they you know the uh our guests that we're going to bring on they i mean she she's worked with i mean nfl teams mma fighters like all kinds of athletes and stuff like that so we're going to learn a lot about some different things other than just football 
some just cutting edge technologies and things like that. So really interesting conversation coming next week. But uh, until then, you guys can find us on Twitter at South End Zone Pod. We'd like to thank our corporate sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. And we will be back with you next week. So see you then. Thank you very much. Have a great day.